You've probably uh, heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. Uh, well, familiarity also breeds apathy. And the, the more familiar we are with something, um, the more we tend to kind of forget the impact of it, or, or we might not be uh, as impacted by something, the more familiar it is, the more comfortable it is. It, it kind of loses its, its strength over time. And there's passages all through the Bible that are that way for us. Uh, one would be the section commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. You know, just about everybody knows that uh, and can recite that without thinking about it too much. Uh, John 3.16 would be another verse like that. I mean, that's something that most people can know or at least get close to reciting pretty, pretty much perfectly uh, because of how familiar it is. And those things uh, are maybe known, uh, but they're not thought through uh, as much as they should be. And a lot of times the weight or the power or the richness of familiar scriptures and familiar passages of scripture and familiar thoughts throughout the Bible kind of get lost uh, because of how familiar and common they are. And Psalm 23, I think, is definitely one of those kind of passages. Psalm 23 is so widely known. It's so familiar, has been for so long. Um, it's something that people probably have memorized without even thinking about it. You know, it's, it's very common in funerals, uh, no matter what the faith of the, the person that the funeral is for was. Uh, they're just recited very frequently. They're in movies. They're in T, it's in TV. Uh, Psalm 23 is referenced in books and I mean, it's just, it's just out there, and it's common, and it's known, and it's familiar, and it's kind of up there with, now I lay me down to sleep, you know, as far as it's being common. And even we as Christians can go to Psalm 23, and because it is so familiar, I mean, we might like how it's worded, and we might say, oh, wow, it's such a beautiful psalm, and it is, but because it's so familiar, we can, if we're not careful, move quickly through it. Or we can kind of take a, a zoomed out view without going deeper. And if we do that, that's really a shame because there are so many riches in this psalm. I mean, Psalm 23 is just full of treasure, way below the surface of what you, you see at first glance. And so what we want to do throughout this next three weeks is we want to go a little deeper with Psalm 23, and we want to see this as a psalm that is truly meant for our calm. Um, we need calm right now in, in all of the circumstances we find ourselves in, and, and even if you are calm, great, thanks be to God for that, but there's all kinds of people around you who are not. There's a great absence of calm in our world and in our surroundings, in our society, in our culture, total absence of it. In its place is anxiety and uncertainty and fear and conspiracies all over the place and paranoia and panic still. And there's still a pandemic. It, it hasn't left. It's still there. It's still a reality. So now more than ever, we need to find a source of calm. And that's in God's Word. And specifically, I want to suggest to you that, that there's just about no better psalm and, and almost no better passage of Scripture throughout the whole Bible that can be a source of calm for you than Psalm 23. Not just because of what it says on the surface, but because of what is 
below the surface. So what we're going to do starting today and through the next three weeks is just we're going to go deeper. We're going to mine those riches. We're going to seek that treasure out, and we're going to draw it out. And my prayer is, uh, as we do that, the Holy Spirit will honor and direct and bless, and that we will all experience a deep, abiding sense of calm. So, Psalm 23, if you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and get that out and and turn there with me. Uh, If you have it on your digital device, that works too. Psalm 23. And this is written by David. It it says that right on the the top there of the heading. And this was most likely written by David after he had been king for a while. Um, It's either when he was uh, dealing with the problem of, of Absalom with his son that really brought about a coup and a civil war, and so he was running from Absalom and and dealing with the civil war that he had on his hands, or it was even after that, and David is just looking back on his life and all of his trials. I mean, the fact that he ran from Saul for years and he, he had all that to deal with. He was at war with countless people surrounding him. Uh, of course, Absalom was the probably the worst of all the situations he had to deal with. And either way, this is probably David looking back on his life. And remember, he was a shepherd before he was a king. And we know that that never left David. All through his Psalms, he makes reference to pastures or to sheep or to the deer out in the wild. I mean, uh, above all things, David was a man of, of nature, and he loved being out in that. And so this is that perspective. That's kind of that backdrop. David's experience as a shepherd dealing with sheep long before he was a king, long before he was put in place to shepherd Israel. And that's kind of the context surrounding this. So Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And if you are comfortable with making notes in your Bible or, you know, highlighting or circling, uh, or if you're able to do it somehow on your device, I really recommend somehow draw attention to emphasize, circle or something, the word Lord there. The Lord is my shepherd. And you could even write in YHWH. That stands for Yahweh. That's what this word is here. When David said, the Lord is my shepherd, he was saying, Yahweh is my shepherd. Yahweh is the personal name of God. It's what God revealed to Moses. He said, uh, Moses said, who am I going to say has sent me back to the people of Israel? They're going to ask, what God have you heard from? Who is this that sends you? Pharaoh's going to ask the same thing. And God said, say to them, I am has sent me. I am is the source of the word or the name Yahweh. It, it, it refers to God's self-existence, that he needs no one else, he needs nothing else for his existence, for his strength, for his life, for his well-being. He is self-sustaining, self-existent, eternal. It also refers to his might, his power, that he is almighty God, that there is no one, no thing greater than him. He is ultimately powerful over all the universe and throughout all of eternity. It also refers to the fact that he is the creator, the only creator. And think, think about who this is. Think about what it means to know Yahweh, 
and who and what he is. This is the God who spoke entire galaxies into being. This is the God who, who knows all the stars, Scripture says, by name and calls them out one by one. This is, this is the God that sustains the entire universe right now while we're sitting here. Your body is being held together by the power of Yahweh. He's holding all of your atoms and molecules together. This is the God who, at, at the time of His sovereign choosing, all He has to do is let go of everything for all the elements to burn with, with just that intense heat that we know happens at the end of the age when God makes everything new. There's not going to have to be some man-made catastrophe to cause the end of all things. All God has to do is just let go because he's holding it all together. And we know specifically and personally, the one who's holding all that together is the Lord Jesus himself. It's what Colossians 1 tells us. Hebrews 1 tells us. The word of his power holds it all together. This is all that's wrapped up in this word, this title, this name, Yahweh, Lord. He, he's just beyond comprehension. He's the one who reigns over all the angels. He's the one who controls all the affairs of man. He's the one who ordains government. He's the one who puts in place kings and authorities and who takes them out, takes them away. He moves the heart of the king like channels of water, the Scriptures say. This is the God who reigns above every circumstance and situation and phenomenon and reality that we find ourselves in. This is the God who was not taken off guard, or caught by surprise by COVID-19. This is the God who reigns in and over the coronavirus. This is the God who will use, who is using, and who will use coronavirus to accomplish His perfect purpose. That's the God that is referenced here when David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. David is not depending on or seeking for any earthly shepherd, any human overseer. He says, no, I have all that I need in Yahweh as, as my shepherd. And not only is Yahweh a shepherd, notice that David said he's my shepherd. Don't miss the personal aspect of that. That this mighty God, the creator and sustainer of all things, the keeper of eternity, stoops down, stoops low, and wants to be a personal shepherd. My friends, that means that this almighty God who knows every star by name, who named them, and who calls them out one by one by name, this great Mighty God and shepherd knows your name. He knows you personally. And He loves you personally. And He calls you to come under Him as your personal shepherd. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And again, we can know this shepherd personally and intimately, directly through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's That's the person, the divine person, that manifests all that God is. Everything is wrapped up in that awesome name, Yahweh. All that that conveys, all that that implies. And all of the characteristics and attributes and actions of 
this great God as shepherd are manifested in the Messiah. It's seen on display personally and powerfully in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, you're welcome to turn there. You don't have to, though. Uh, I will be reading that. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am, using that divine name, it's one of his great I am statements. He's, he's connecting himself with the Yahweh of the Old Testament. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the ultimate shepherd. I'm the greatest shepherd. I'm, I'm the chief shepherd. There's no greater, more powerful, more capable shepherd than me. John chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. Jesus, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And the reason for that, the reason that he laid down his life for the sheep, the reason he needed to do that is because of what's found in what's said in Isaiah 53, verse 6, where the prophet there says, we all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord, Yahweh, has punished him, his servant, his Messiah, his son, for the iniquity of us all. See, Jesus truly is the good shepherd. No one else comes close. No one else is going to care for the sheep, for the people of Jesus like he does. No government official, no leader, no ruler, no pastor is going to be able to care for you to the degree, to the extent, or in the quality of care that Jesus can provide. No one else is going to come close, which means we need to not look to anyone else as our ultimate source of comfort, as our ultimate source of provision, as our ultimate source of life or hope or joy or peace. No one else can do what Jesus can do for us. He is the good shepherd. And he laid down his life for us because that's what he needed to do in order to redeem us. Uh, because we've, we've all gone astray. No one seeks after God naturally on their own. Everyone looks inward. Everyone looks to themselves. And out of love and out of mercy and out of absolute need, God the Father laid on His Son the iniquity of all of us. And because of that, because our good shepherd gave His life for us to give life to us, we can trust Him. We can trust Him, church. We can find in Him our all in all. And, and we're not going to be able to find that in any, any other source, not in any other person. 
In Jesus alone, we can find our all in all. In every circumstance, in every situation, in every need, we find it all met and fulfilled in Jesus and Him alone. We need to remember that as we continue on in these days. We need to remember that as we hear various news reports of, of still showing how dark uh, our days and our circumstances still are. We need to remember that as we are tempted, at some point all of us will be tempted to despair, to fear, to worry, to panic. Even if you're not right now, there will be something that comes along that will tempt you to do that, to worry, to despair, to wonder if there's any hope. And Jesus is the resounding yes as that answer. We can find our all in all through Jesus Christ. And that's why we can all say today, and I hope you will say today, with David in this psalm, I shall not want. It's the end there of verse 1. Because the Lord, because Yahweh is my personal shepherd, because I, I can run to Him as my chief and good shepherd. I don't have to look to anyone else. I don't have to depend on anyone else. I can find all I need in God. And personally, powerfully, all of it is manifested in the person of Jesus. Because of that, I can say with absolute confidence and certainty, I shall not want. That means I don't have to be in want. I, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to find myself in need. I'll always have what I need. I'll always have everything I need for life and for godliness supplied in Jesus. That's what uh, we're told through God's word. And we can say that with absolute assurance. So I will have my needs met, but also I can say with David, I'm going to choose to not chase after all these other wants. I'm going to be able to choose to be completely satisfied and content in my shepherd. I'm going to have everything I need. And I'm going to be able to not look to other sources of fulfillment and other sources of peace and other sources of hope and joy and satisfaction because it's all found in my good shepherd. And Jesus is his name. So we can all say that. With David, I shall not want. Because, think about it, if we never received another blessing or provision the rest of our lives, we never got anything else from the moment you came to Christ, from the moment of your salvation, let's say you never got anything else in this life. Or from this moment on, blessing and provision just stopped. And what you had right now is all you'd ever have. The clothes on your back, the few possessions you might have in your home, your family, the health that you have right now, let's say that's all you had. No other good thing ever again. If that were true, we would already be more than okay, and we would have more than we could ever need or ever deserve because our greatest need has been met forever in Jesus and in the salvation that we have through Him. So if, if nothing else ever, ever happened good for us, we would still be good. We would still be better than good. We would be better than anybody could ever imagine because of all that is already ours through Jesus and the salvation we have in Him. That, my friends, that is the source of lasting 
satisfaction. That's the reason that the Apostle Paul could be truly content no matter what his circumstances were. And we know the Apostle Paul went through some things. I mean, goodness gracious, he was rejected by his own people. He had been, he was on, uh, on trial several different times, beaten, stoned. He had numerous attempts on his life. He had been shipwrecked. He had gone without food. I mean, Paul really did suffer. You know, when, when uh, Paul was first converted, he, Jesus said to those that were worried about Paul, he said, hey, Jesus, you know who this used to be? This was the guy who persecuted uh, those who call on your name. You sure about this? And Jesus said, don't worry. I'm going to show Paul all that he will suffer for my name. And boy, did he suffer for the name of Jesus. But in all that he suffered and all that he went through, Paul was able to be 100% content no matter what. Here's what he says in Philippians 4, 12-13. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do, and really that means to endure, to go through all things through Him, the Good Shepherd, the Savior Jesus, through Him who strengthens me. See, that verse is not guaranteeing success on a court or on a field. That verse isn't guaranteeing a great business deal like so many times people try to make it and the way it's taken out of context and manipulated to suit those kind of things. No, that's Paul is saying, I can do all things that, that I'm faced with. I can go through all things that come my way. I can endure all things no matter what it is, not because the things themselves are easy or good. No, because I have a good shepherd reigning and ruling over me and over all that I, I go through and experience. By contrast, church, by contrast, when you don't submit to the great shepherd's ownership over your life, then you will always be in want. David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the reason he, he could say that, the reason he wasn't in need of anything, the reason he could be satisfied and choose that. The reason he could say that and the reason we can say that is because of the shepherd's ownership over our lives, because he is our shepherd. But if you remove the Lord is my shepherd out of that, out of that sentence and out of the sentence of your life, and you insert anything or anyone in place of Yahweh, in place specifically and personally of Jesus Christ, then you won't be able to say, I shall not want. Rather, your statement will be, I am always in want. I'm never satisfied. I can't ever find what I need. I'm always looking for something to fulfill. I'm always in need, or I feel that way. That's, there's really only two choices. You either come to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Good Shepherd, and He has ownership over your life, and therefore He gives you peace and satisfaction and fulfillment along with all of your needs. That's, that's really why, side note, that's why he said in, in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about your clothes. Your heavenly Father knows you need those things. 
And every day you're going to have what you need. Don't worry about it. That's the reason he, he said in his model prayer, give us this day our daily bread. That's the reason in the Old Testament with Moses that there was manna that fell only enough for that day. Because God knows what we need, and He gives us our daily needs. He gives us what we are absolutely in need of. He provides all that, and then He gives us a satisfaction, a deep soul satisfaction that no one else can give us and no one else can manufacture. But it's only found in Him. It's only found in Him. Now, here's the action of this Good Shepherd. Here's what He does for our, for us and in our lives. This is how He shepherds us. Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, um, sheep, I understand, uh, don't just voluntarily lie down in a certain spot. I am not in any way a shepherd. I'm not a son of a shepherd. So, I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to sheep. I have to look to other sources. I have to find information from somewhere else. And in a great book by Philip Keller called A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm, which I highly recommend, he, he is a shepherd, and he said uh, on this verse, something that's really, really neat, that when it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, what that, what that involved is that the shepherd would have to construct a certain perimeter, a certain makeshift building. He'd have to kind of, no matter where they were pasturing, he'd have to put some sort of perimeter around to box in the sheep, and it would have to be in a certain place where there was ample grass, where there was plenty of grass that they could just kind of munch on and snack on and graze on all through the night. And that's the only way that they were, they'd be willing to do it. The other thing is he would have to remove any obstacle that could be a source of fear for the, for the sheep. Sheep are very fearful animals. And so he'd have to make sure they felt secure and safe. And he'd have to remove anything that could possibly cause them to be afraid or they just wouldn't lay down. And that's exactly what our good shepherd does for us. And we need to hear that and know that during these days and in this time probably more than any other time because all we're bombarded with day in, day out is fear, 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 be afraid, be afraid. You know, I mean, you don't have to look far at all uh, to, to be given to fear because of what you hear or see all around you. But if the Good Shepherd owns you and if the Good Shepherd is leading you, you can rest assured that He's going to lead you in a place of safety and security. He's got you. He's got this. The other thing I want to point out on this verse is that um, when we hear green pastures, that you know, we're, He makes me lie down in green pastures, what we think of is this, this lush, green hillside, you know, rolling hills, thick, green grass. I mean, that's what we think of, right? When you hear, he leads me in green pastures, that's the, the image that comes to your mind, the, the Norman Rockwell type image. But in reality, the pastures of Israel that this was all written in the context of and, and the environment of, 
the pastures of Israel would look more like this. It's not exactly green, right? And so what the, the shepherds would do at the time of, of this writing and, and even still today, they would constantly be leading, leading their sheep. The sheep were always moving. And because of how barren the area is, I mean, remember where Israel is. It's the Middle East, you know? It's not like it's Scotland. It's not the, the beautiful hill, hillside of, of England or Ireland with the sheep there. I mean, it's, it's sparse. And so the shepherd would make these tracks throughout the land where they would navigate to find the, the tufts of grass, the little, just little collections of grass here and there. And so he would lead his sheep to eat this spot, and then that grass would be gone, and so he'd lead them on to the next one. It would be here a little bit and there a little bit until they finally got to a place where there was a, a good collection of grass, and that's where he would have the sheep stop. That's where he would, he would have them be still, and he'd put up that, that fencing or that structure to kind of hem them in, a, a makeshift sheep pen. But he would be constantly leading them on, and the sheep would want to just stay right where they are because they'd get tired of, of continuing being, continually being led on and continually moving. They would want to just stop. And so the shepherd would constantly be using that staff to lead them on and pull them on because he knew that there's no way they'd be able to make it just on that little section of grass. He kept leading them on to where the, the main section or, or the more plentiful selection of grass, the grass they really needed would be. And so he would just tide them over here a little bit, there a little bit, until they got to the place where he knew they needed to be. And the same is true for you and me. The same is true under our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Contrary to what we often believe, the grass is not always greener on the other side or up ahead as far as we can see. The grass is always the greenest wherever God leads us. The grass is always greenest wherever God leads us. And I know it's hard to wait, church, and I know it's hard to, to not know what's around the bend and what's coming up, and I know it's hard to, to always have a sense of contentment and satisfaction. I get it. I, I struggle with that. I kind of have a wandering spirit, and it's hard for me to stay in one place or stay in one situation very long. I tend to, to get restless. But what God always is reminding me of is this. Where I have you right now, is the best place for you in your life. Where I have you, where I'm leading you, how I'm leading you, what I'm leading you to, what's in front of you right now is my best for you at this moment. And then when it's time to move you on to another thing, another situation, another environment, another reality, I'll do it. What I need you to do is just to trust me. Trust me. And follow my leading Believe that I am your good shepherd. And follow that. Trust that. Trust me. Remember, I lay down my life for you. Can't you trust me with the life I've given you? That's what I really believe Jesus would say to all of us and is saying to all of us. 
Well, back in this psalm, the first two verses here, not only does he make me lie down in green pastures, but he also, it says, he leads me beside still waters. Green pastures and still waters. This verse right here and just these statements, these two different environments, green pastures and still waters, and, and, and just that phrase serves as a sanctuary from stress for us if we will let it. It's a sanctuary from stress, and that's what it would have been for all the sheep. And David is probably thinking back to, to when he, as a shepherd, would lead his sheep um, through those tracts of barren land to find the little spot of grass here and there, and then he would take them where there was a, a fairly large collection, and he'd make them lie down there, and he'd remove any obstacle of fear from their from their little minds, and, and he'd give them the environment of rest. But then he would also lead them beside still waters. And every good shepherd would know you can't just lead your sheep to any body of water or any source of water. If it's a fast-moving source of water, sheep aren't really smart enough to know I shouldn't just dip all my head in and, and be fine. They're not going to realize that the, the current will sweep them away. They just don't think like that. So the shepherd would have to guard them And so he wouldn't lead them around a a source of water that could be treacherous for them. He would lead them to still water. And sometimes there there would be long stretches of time between the last place of still water to the next one. And that's where the shepherd would have to be very sometimes aggressive about leading them on because he knew where the next source of water was. And so his pulling and, and prodding and moving the sheep along, you know, may seem like, and to an outside observer, may seem like cruelty and like they're being too rough with those sheep, but he knew what needed to be done and was willing to do whatever it took to get them to the source of water they needed. He leads me beside still waters. That does not mean for us as Christians under our chief shepherd Jesus, that doesn't mean that for the Christian, things are guaranteed to just be smooth sailing. There's no guarantee of that. Sometimes that's what we think. Oh, to be a Christian means no more problems. Sometimes that's what people will will try to get you to think. There's all kinds of books written on that kind of premise. There's all kind of, of theology that's constructed around that very faulty premise and notion that the Christian life is a life guaranteed to be smooth sailing. No problems, no affliction, no hardship, no discouragement, no despair, no suffering. Well, that's not in any way the Christianity that the Bible presents. It doesn't mean that at all. To the contrary, many times in life, you know this, you've probably lived this at some point, or are living it, or will live it, that many times in life, you have to go through the rapids to get to the still water. Many times, that's how life works. You have to go through the rapids, the treacherous waters, to get to the still waters. That's why it is so important to have a good guide, like a, like a rafting guide that really knows what he's doing. If you go out on the New River, 
You're not going to want to get into the raft with a guy that hasn't been down there before who just, you know, you're going to feel a little anxious if they just got their certification, if they just got all the licensing they needed, you're going to be a little bit more apprehensive than to go down the river with a guide who's been there countless times, who knows every turn of the river, knows what the rapids do, knows what to avoid, all of that. That's the guide you want, right? And Christian, I want to remind you, to remind all of us, that we have the greatest guide there is. We have the greatest guide there is in the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He never promised that everything would be smooth sailing. He didn't promise that you wouldn't ever go through trouble or trial. No, He actually promised the opposite of that. He was very clear and direct. He said, in this world, in this life, in your experience as a human being, you will suffer persecution and trial and hardship. You're going to go through it. It will happen. Coming to me isn't a get-out-of-problem-free card. Jesus said, you're going to have that. But as you have those things, as you go through that, as you deal with difficult circumstances and difficult days, remember, I've overcome the entire world. So you can experience joy. You can experience courage and hope and purpose. You can be encouraged. Take heart, he said. I've overcome all that you might face. It won't be the end for you. Jesus didn't promise easy waters to go through, but he, he did, God did promise in Isaiah 43 too, this, that when you pass through the waters, that's choppy, treacherous waters, like waves. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the rivers will not overwhelm you. So take heart, my fellow Christian. You might have to go through rapids to get to the still waters. You might be going through rapids right now and and you feel like maybe the boat's going to capsize. You feel like you're going to drown in in it. It's just so overwhelming. But this promise is your promise through the Lord Jesus Christ, that He will be with you in whatever you go through, in whatever waters surround you. And they're not going to overwhelm you. He won't let it. Because He's with you as Emmanuel. He's with you through it all. Brothers and sisters, remember this fact, that Jesus can make still waters out of the strongest waves. Jesus can make still waters out of the strongest of waves. And He's really good at it. (laughs) He's really, really good at it. And not only can He do that, but I suggest to you that's what He's already been doing. You see, I think the coronavirus shutdown and all that we've been experiencing these last couple months and still are experiencing and still yet to experience, I really believe that that it has been the source of a lot of still waters that our Good Shepherd has provided for us and offered to lead us beside. I really believe that. I think that He's wanting to give us and and has provided for us more time with family 
both in quantity and quality. I believe that He's wanted to and is providing through this shutdown the still waters of more focused and more frequent time with God. I I believe He's wanting and, and has offered to give us more rest, real rest and relaxation. I think that the coronavirus shutdown has been something that God has wanted to use as still waters in your life to develop maybe new and, uh, and rich hobbies or habits, good habits. Or maybe He's wanted to provide you with more opportunity to break some old and bad ones that's been needed in your life. And He's allowed this shutdown to come in and he's allowed the the pandemic and the panic of the pandemic to cause you to really think about things. And maybe he wants you to cut ties with some old, bad, harmful habits that are contrary to him and harmful for your life. And there's probably a million other possibilities. What I want to suggest to you is, is have a different perspective. See the coronavirus shutdown not as this curse and this horrible burden, but view it as a blessing for all the, the things that God might be wanting to give you and lead you in. All the redeeming aspects of this that He might want you to, to walk through. See it that way. And I believe that if we would, if we would just step back and take a really objective look at everything, I think that we can all say that this time has actually been a gift from God, from our good shepherd, if we will let it be that way. And I mean, think about it. Goodness gracious. We all have been needing a slower pace, don't you think? I think we've all been in need of that, a slower pace and, and a time beside still waters in our life, considering that we spend most of our days throughout most of our lives in the middle of the rapids, feeling like we're trying to swim away from a waterfall. I mean, we live, most of us, we live most of our lives like right at the edge of Niagara Falls. That's our daily experience. And I think that, that all of this shutdown and slowdown has been a gift from God to experience some some peace and some rest. But no matter how we view these days and no matter what we have to deal with in our lives, one thing is certain. What Jesus offers in Matthew 11.28 is always needed and it's always available. He says this in Matthew 11.28, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. In the midst of coronavirus, I'll give you rest. In the midst of wondering how you're going to pay those mountain, that mountain of bills that's in front of you, I'll give you rest. In the midst of the job loss that you just experienced or are going to experience, I'll give you rest. In the midst of just not feeling good, I'll give you rest. In the midst of, of problems with relationship and strife, I'll give you rest. And on and on we could go. He said, all of you who are weary and heavy burden, no matter what that burden might be, come to me and you'll experience rest. Come to me, the good shepherd. I'll lead you beside still, peaceful, calm, restorative, healing waters. I'll lead you where the greenest pasture is, if you'll let me. 
what David knew to be true, we can know to be true. And I hope you do. And I hope you keep coming back to that. I hope you'll keep remembering all that we have in our good shepherd and our good Savior and look to Him for your rest. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Psalm 23. I thank You for the riches that we're able to find there just in the, in the first two verses. Thank You for what this psalm can do for us. It truly is a psalm for our calm if we will allow it. May we do that. May we draw comfort from, from the power of Your Word. May we draw comfort from who You are and from what You are and all that You promise to do and to be in our lives. Encourage us, I pray, from our time together, from our time in Your Word, from our time lifting our voices together in praise. May this be a source of strength for us as we leave and go back out into the world, which, which is full of such uncertainty right now and such anxiety. And all of that seeks to come into our minds and our hearts and, and enslave us again into fear. Father, help us to not let it. Help us instead to be people that agree with David and say, the Lord, Yahweh, the Almighty One, He is my shepherd. Therefore, I, I shall not be in want. Not just I don't have to be in want, but I'm choosing to not be in want. May that mark our lives. May, may we trust and follow Your leading as You lead us from situation to situation, from spot to spot, knowing that You'll give us all that we need. You'll provide it all. Help us to surrender to your leading in our lives. I thank you for who you are and all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.